And my promise to the young people I worked alongside at the outset of the research project was, was that their voice and perspective on their experiences of communion was important to be heard by adults and the wider Baptist community. And the choice of my methodology was hugely significant in seeking to overcome the challenges of power and empowerment and to hear from the young people's perspective. And it was also the place where my research began. Undertaking participative, qualitative research with a group of people goes some way to shift the focus from being about the people and the place you're researching and what you can get out of that to those participating in the research becoming co-producers of the outcomes and findings. Angela Veal, who writes on creative methodologies with children, highlights how participative approaches can also help to address issues of power and empowerment. At the heart of an active, participative approach to research is the intention of fostering dialogue and communication as a way of learning and overcoming power imbalances. It involves young people as active participants. Knowledge is generated rather than extracted, and it enables those involved to gain an awareness and understanding of their lived reality. I used visual ethnography approaches of um, photo elicitation and photo voice within a mixed methodology, working with small groups of young people aged between 13 and 18 years um, in five different Baptist churches, and I worked with them over a period of three to four weeks each. In focus groups, I used photographs I'd taken or chosen myself to initiate conversation and discussion about communion. What was it? what happened in their context, who took part, what its meaning was to them. The photographs are used to invoke comments, memory and discussion in the course of semi-structured interviews, or in my case, the focus groups. I also tasked the young people to take their own photographs, drawing on methods of photo voice, where participants are encouraged to take photographs of a situation or issue within their community or environment. For my project, I asked them to address the question. Communion, what is it to you? How you feel about how it's done, if you could reimagine it? More statements than questions. So this wasn't an exercise in producing images for display or artistic purposes but the photographs the young people took would very much be a tool for them to express their understandings and to talk about the subject with the researcher through the processes of photo elicitation. I discovered that the methodology provided spaces for learning on a number of different levels. While I was learning from the participants, gaining an insight into their experiences, their views and expressions of faith and spirituality within their contexts, I was aware that the young people participating were sharpening their learning together and narrating their experiences and reflections theologically. This was done on a communal as well as individual level. For example, in the focus group discussions, young people seemed influenced by the opinions of their peers, going with the flow of conversations and points raised by others. At first, I thought that might be a bit problematic, but I discovered that this is a source of interest to others who've written in this area, and that affirmed learning that during the research process itself, 
is positive and is happening. Henk de Roos writing, for example, on social interaction, the dynamics of focus group data, offering new insights in research. And David Sinos, in his chapter, The Inner Journey of Qualitative Research, in Michelle and Wilhawk's work on qualitative research in theological education, writes of his experience fo conducting focus group research with three adolescent girls. And I want to share what he's written because it resonates a lot with the experiences I had. During the interview, these three young theologians had tended to finish each other's thoughts and give answers to questions that I had directed to one of their peers. At times, one girl would respond to my question first, and others would say, yeah, or what she said. All this left me frustrated because I wanted to know what each one of them thought, and these habits appeared to me to mean that some of them wouldn't share much beyond what one of the others in the group had already stated. Through deep listening, however, I realized that something else was going on here. Theology for these children was not a solo enterprise. They were actually formulating their theological views with one another right there before my eyes. As they drew pictures of God and spoke about their congregations, they were engaged in a process of theological reflection through which they shared ideas and challenged one another as they did theology in community. Sinos names this as a process of communal theology, a space of learning and development and where the control of it was largely in the hands of the young people as they took the questions further and followed their own threads and trains of thought. This analysis helped me to identify processes of learning within my own research, how that has occurred in different ways, and how in its essence the fieldwork has been theological. Careful ethical facilitation of focus groups and conversations within the research methodology can create the space for experiences and opinions to be shared in a safe, boundaried way. Contextual theology, of which my project is a part, places an importance on experience and human experience. It is wide in its scope for developing theology in that it recognizes that theology can be developed from various situations and experiences. Bevins and Williams say that anything can be a source of theology, such theology comes from within a specific context and from all regardless of age or position. Swinton and Moat note that human experience is a place where the gospel is grounded, embodied, interpreted and lived out and is also an important locus for the work of the spirit. They refer to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the body as a temple of the Holy Spirit and as such, they draw connections between the research approach and theology that takes the ordinary actions and experiences of people seriously and as a space for identifying the work of God. The experiences of the young may not always be easily heard or given such space and value within church contexts. Young people in the liminal space of adolescence often seem as not yet adult, but are no longer children. Catholic theologian Karl Rayner challenges a subordinate view of childhood and youth, noting the eternal significance of the child and the value and worth of each child in their present rather than their yet-to-be state of being. A young person's perspective has the characteristics of openness, 
trustful submission to control by another, courage to allow fresh horizons, and a readiness to journey into the untried and untested. Similar themes from the field of youth ministry call for adults to embrace the uniqueness of the stage of life that the young person is going through as one of creativity and enlightenment. Young people can enlighten the adults, or mature, in their search for truth, in their seeking answers to questions and fighting against the norm. My research has drawn large and um, much data, and I just want to share a few of the findings with you. They were large in scope as the young people used images in different ways to express their ideas. Andrew and Michelle chose to present collages to express quite complex reflections and views on communion. Andrew took a Star Wars theme to express his feeling that communion was old-fashioned and not what he would look for, presenting ideas for reimagining it, which included cake and coke and adding music. He also used this image to express quite his complex understanding. The red symbol in the background is the Rebel Alliance's logo, he told me. The Rebel Alliance was effectively formed by someone dying and then sort of coming back to life. So in a symbolic way, it represents the way Jesus died and came back to life. And it's sort of one of the foundations of the Christian faith. So that's why the Rebel Alliance symbol is there. The rose is symbolic of love and death and both at the same time. Michelle was the only person to add handwritten words onto her images and she additionally included a paper chain of people to represent feeling part of something and not alone. She included a hand-drawn cross. Her images represented many different themes including inclusion, she talked about the elements of communion, the worship aspect of it, and where you would take it. The clock represented taking communion in your own time, and this referred to Michelle's concern that no one should be made to feel that you should take communion. This came through very strongly from her, especially if you didn't feel ready to, and hence her additional words, your choice. There's a deep level of reflection that's gone into Michelle putting these images together and using these to express the many different feelings and understandings she has. As such, it's a powerful image, a rich tapestry of her own theological reflection. Some participants staged their photographs to tell a story. The staged images were creative and elaborate ways of showing meaning and expressing opinions and feelings and were an expression of the depth of engagement with the theme and reflection that the young people had gone to. Ian produced um, a series of photographs of teddy bears on his bedroom floor, which he used to tell a story of his understanding of communion, and showed Ian as the curator of the worship environment, as well as offering insight into his expression. In this image, he says that communion is an opportunity for individual prayer, the individual element to it, the person being represented by the teddy. 
But communion is also time together, a collective event with family, hence the adding of more teddies in this picture. Ian's perception of how greater meaning and significance could be made of the act of communion is if it were practiced as more of a meal, and this was represented in his final image. He told me, there's a candle in the middle, I just thought I'd do it, and they've all got pieces of bread, and that's supposed to be a table to represent what I think they could do better at. I think you should do it more of a meal because it says in the Bible that they have, well, it was the last supper. It was a supper. It was a meal. So I think that we should do it more of a meal and like be able to talk together. As I reflect on the image and representation within it, I wondered whether Ian was the facilitator of the meal, the host and provider of the food as he had done for his people in the image. The table set appears to invite others in with its sense of openness, the edge at the front of the image left empty. The theme of the meal and the significance of it is one that Baptist theologian Keith Jones writes on, identifying the meal's central role and focus. He writes, gathering communities of people meet around the table, not primarily the pulpit. The worship space centers around this focus of the table. This meal has its roots in the banquet imagery of the first century of our common era, where people lounged around in the area, but that there should be a gathering around the table and no one should be impeded from the table by fences or by functionaries. It's very important. For Ian, communion seemed positive and he expresses the value of time alone and time together. He provided a further image to express his view that at his church there was inclusion of children and young people at communion. His words as he explained this photograph to me, this is what I think about how it's done in our church. The pound coins represent the adults and the 20 Ps represent the children. And the fact that in our church the adults don't exclude the children from it, they're letting them in. So the circle is open to let the 20 Ps in, which is the children. There is an unclosed feeling to this image. The adults on the periphery, the children entering in. It speaks of inclusion, but also reflects, I think, an imbalance of power. Is there significance in the value of the coins? For example, one pound for adults, 20 pence pieces for children. The adults being closer together, breaking the circle to allow the children in. I further reflect on how Ian places himself within the coin's picture. Is he a child invited in or stepping back as the curator and observer? He seems to offer the image as a picture of how communion is done, not adding any weight to where he might be or is in the situation. Yet as child, young person, he's offering a theology of communion in his context, explaining to me as adult researcher what communion is how it's practiced, how it could be more biblical, contextual, and be afforded greater meaning. Many images of the natural world, sunsets, flowers, trees were provided, produced by the young people, and these were used to express their faith and the character of God, as well as their experience of communion. There's just a few examples up here. 
Sunsets were a common theme. Uh, young people using these to express something of the um, connection with them and God, hope and faith, the renewed and constant faith. Someone's included a picture of um, a tree in blossom. I thought that the bright pink colours in the blossom could represent how communion has lived on since the time of Jesus. This is the tree which comes to blossom every spring. And the image of the foxglove, simply described as beauty, the beauty of what Jesus did for us at communion. Everyday objects were also identified as being like communion at church. For example, bread rolls and a bottle of Vimto on the kitchen work surface and a loaf of bread with a central cross. The young person who'd taken the picture of the Vimto and the bread said that it was just there. Mum had just got back from the shops and there was Vimto and I was like, ah, Vimto, bread. Um, it's, it's what we do at home. It's like a mini communion. He also described how later those elements were taken and shared at a, communi um, a community gathering. So was further reflecting on their, the significance of them. There were also some more challenging and disturbing images with young people expressing their negative experiences of communion, a lack of connection, confusion and isolation. Sarah presented a photograph of her feet. These are my feet, she said. This is what I see in communion. From where I sit, this is exactly what I see. My thighs, my feet, whatever's in front of me. So when I took the picture, the table that we all have communion on wasn't out. It was just the podium where whoever stands and talks. That's what I think. It's quite a boring photo. And I just feel in communion that there needs to be something that connects more rather than me thinking what shades of green are on the floor. Such images and reflections through the photo elicitation process provide just a snapshot, an example of the insights into the young people's experiences and their theological voices. To conclude, an acknowledgement that the research process itself provides a place for spirituality to be expressed, faith explored and theologies verbalised, needs to be held alongside the sense of validity and worth of the young voice in this unique space of learning and discovery. If we understand children and young people as partners of God from the start and with the capacity to experience God as full human beings, this gives validity to the voice of them within the church. It gives weight to our need to hear from them, to discover their insights into who God is and how God is understood. In so doing, we, adult church, may well be challenged from different theological voices about the practices which shape our ecclesiology and those things that we deem important. The process of photo elicitation in particular, I found, enabled the young people to express their views and experiences in greater depth. The images they had produced and were talking to me about allowed the participants to go deeper than words might otherwise allow. Sue Heath articulates some of the benefits of using visual method methodologies with young people. 
First, images can allow respondents to show parts of their lives that are hard to articulate in words. Second, certain visual methods can provide access to more private spaces that are usually off limits to the researcher. In a Christian context, we might name the private spaces as from the soul or expressing the spirituality or theology of the participant. Thank you. Purely that I didn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I don't really know if I have a good enough reason of why why their statements are not questions. Perhaps it was because I didn't want a, a yes or no answer and trying to open it up. It was probably as practical as that, really. Um, yeah. Thank you. I'm quite struck by your comments on using, uh, inviting the young people to use photos at the end. Then it occurs to me that this may just be my own starting life, but the only times I've experienced anything like that always been in the context of retreat centres. Mm. And, and that connection that you were drawing between mm. um, the research process and, and, and spirituality seems to me to be actually quite a visible and strong one. Yes, I think so. And I think, I think while I started off... Um, my background's in youth work and obviously wanting to do something creative and participative, but I don't think I'd appreciated until actually doing the research that there's something more here actually by using these methodologies, that they do allow for this deepness. And, and while people are using them just generally in the field of social sciences and what have you are saying, these are good tools for working well, um, I, I think there's something here for us in theology as well, and that's what I tried to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. I was really um, Elicitation, yes. Yes. Um, so they're, they're really methods. And so photo elicitation is basically the using a photograph to, to have a conversation. So I use photo elicitation in two different ways. In the first sessions, I took photographs in that I'd selected or taken myself to just open up conversation. So I got them to, the participants to choose um, a picture that resonated with them about communion. Choose from all the different ones I'd put out. Um, and interestingly, on that very first session, one of the participants said, can I choose one that doesn't resonate with me? And I said, yeah, of course, you know. And from then on, I included both. I said, choose one that, you know, that, that works for you, that helps you to explore what communion is and something that means absolutely nothing, no connection at all. And it was just a means of opening up conversation. Um, and it's just, it's a tool. So photo elicitation is, a, it's basically a conversation using the photo. Um, in the same way when the young people had taken their own photographs, then I would have a conversation with them as they explained their photograph to me. And that again is photo elicitation. So it is a, it's the conversation um, that goes on. 
Photo voice is, is a method um, where, I mean, there's quite a lot written about it in visual methodologies, but it, 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 is, it is empowering um, the, participate, the participant, I guess, to use their voice through the medium of photography, you know, to, to take pictures, to explore meaning. And I realized that I, I, I felt at the beginning, I kept saying to my um, supervisors, it's, I'm asking something quite big here, <laughs> you know, to get their head around something conceptual, um, because it's not just take a picture of the things that you like in your community, which might well be a, a way of using photo voice to open up what people's experiences are, but I'm actually asking quite conceptual questions. Um, from the outset, I said, don't just, we're not, this isn't about taking pictures of communion happening. This is about trying to explore the meanings behind it. So there was quite a lot of work I did with them prior to taking the photographs. But photo voice is effectively, um, yes, uh, the participants themselves taking photographs um, and using the visual to explore something of meaning. They are, yes, yes. And actually, I've just, um, just co-written a journal article on both of those for ecclesial practices, which will be out later in the year. <laughs> so, yeah. I think I found that fascinating. Um, and I was, the, the quote that you used referred to your own experience as well about how young know, people when they were talking uh, were saying things like what she said and that and the way that they were expressing theology and, 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 and sharing the learning experience. Um, just very interesting, wondering how we can develop that further. Mm -hmm. um, because I think most of my experience of talk theological conversations with adults seems to be animated by point you make your point. And that sense of a much more dynamic yep. learning and exploring, expressing together. Um, and I wonder if that's something young people have to teach somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. Really yeah. I mean, it is about exploring and opening up, and I guess you've got the freedom in a research situation to, to do that. And some of it, you know, as, as an educator, it's a bit frustrating because you kind of, you know, you have to just listen, really, and not be giving answers and what have you. But that, there's something quite special about that. But I do think there is something in just inviting a conversation and a discussion. And I think some of the things that came out that the young people were saying, I was, you know, I think perhaps one of my find, you know, later on will be, just speak to these people, you know, give them an opportunity to talk about these things, because some are very practical and pragmatic and, you know, not feeling uncomfortable about a certain thing, about, you know, whether they should or whether they shouldn't. And you just think if these conversations were allowed to be had, that would be good. The next section is a plenary waffles in this space, so we'll keep going until the first person has joined us. I think you've got that Linda, you told us nothing about your participants other than they were young people. Yeah. Um, so, I guess um, a couple of questions. One, is there anything you could say more than that, perhaps about anything? Teenagers who um, are from completely unchurched backgrounds, 
um, and, and you get, I, suppose, I suspect, you get very different answers from both of them. So on the one hand, what about that? On the other, um, are you seeing yet um, any of those sorts of differences that you can identify? And, and, and do they flow from parents, Yeah, yeah. Um, so I work with teenagers, 13 to 18 year olds. Um, I deliberately wanted to look at young people in that sort of um, bracket rather than children. Um, I didn't set out to just work with um, young people who took communion in churches, but that's how it happened. So they're all, they've all either grown up in the Baptist setting or church family. So in that sense, that whatever. Um, worked with five churches, quite different, um, probably one fairly large church, um, a few middle and a few smaller ones. Um, they all had teenagers in, and that's always the challenge. But, so, you know, I worked with some of just very small groups and one much larger where they have a, a youth worker and a separate youth um, sessions or what have you. Um, so I probably can't do a distinction between what these conversations would be like about with, with young people who had no experience, other than to say that there were a number, um, a small number in, of young people in some of the groups who obviously were newer to the church or had come from a different tradition. Uh, you know, so one young person said, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> and even when I, I, you know, you use the word communion, but I also said, or oh, Lord's Supper, and somebody said, Lord's Supper, what's that? You know, and it, so you, you realize you use these terminologies and they, uh, so there are different ways of, you know, expressing, but it would be interesting to do it with a group completely outside of church. Thank you for that. I, I, I'm interested in this dynamic that's happening when people finishing other people's conferences and that, that, that group mentality of discerning theology. Did you interview all of them in groups? Did you interview some of them separately? Is it different when you do it in the one on one and then you do it in a, in a group dynamic? Yeah, I think there was a difference. Um, I did, so I worked in different ways over the, over the weeks. So, a lot of the work was in groups with them, focus groups. Um, sometimes we'd break them into smaller groups to work together and then come back together. But when they were bringing their photographs that they had taken to talk about them, I did that one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, that was when I, when I did it in my pilot, we did, they talked about them as a group. And I felt that they weren't really having the opportunity to, because they were then finishing each other's sentences, and I wanted them just to talk about their photographs. So I think there is, there's pros and cons, there's time for that group conversation, but also for that one-to-one. -one. And what I did in the transcribing, um, obviously transcribed the whole thing, um, and then I've gone through to transcribe the narratives of each individual, it's taken me forever, um, so that I've got an individual, if you like, narrative. Um, of when they entered into conversation and what was said. 